Well, we are uh, kicking off our new January teaching series called Circles, and uh, I want to start by asking you guys a question. I know we're in a public setting, so evolution would say look better than you actually are, uh, but, but let me ask you a question, okay? <coughs> Excuse me, if, if I get some water from the folks in the back, that'd be great. Otherwise, I'll be coughing <coughs> all morning. Uh, here's my question. How observant do you think you actually are? How observant do you think you actually are? Okay. I just got out of man flu, so uh, I'm not very observant. Uh, one of the greatest gifts ever created by humanity for humanity is this guy, the Tile app. This thing is a beautiful creation because what the, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's, it's beautiful. You can attach a tile to your keys, put it in your wallet. You can put it in near your car. I lose my car, even though I have the, the light sensor thing. And it's, a, it's an app on your phone as well that shows you the radius of how, how, <laughs> how lost you actually are, okay? Now, there was a, a season in my life about a year ago. This happens almost every day, actually, every month. There's a season uh, in, my, in my marriage about two years ago where I could not find my car keys, okay? No, no kidding. My wife, oh, oh, thank you so much. You are a blessing. Thank you. My wife had to take me to work 30 minutes out of her direction to drop my sorry self off, and then she would go to work and have to pick me up. Well, <clears throat> uh, two days after this, she said, you're a grown man. You need to find your own keys, all right? This is, mar- this is what marriage does for us, man. It's good for us. It, it grows us and matures us. And she said, I'm, I'm not taking your sorry self to work. You need, to, you need to go find your keys. And so before I had the Tile app, I, after I found them, I bought one. Uh, I went downstairs in the, the den, living room, basement area. And wouldn't you know, I'm from Cincinnati, in the middle of the couch cushion, sticking out, is the Cincinnati Reds lanyard tied to my car keys, okay? I am not a very observant person. I want to do an exercise with you guys, okay? I told you I have a lot of energy, but don't freak out, all right? I want to see how observant you are. So I want this half of the room to stand up. Go ahead and stand up and look at the other half of the room and observe as much as you can. Judge them all you want, okay? You know who smells and who didn't shower. All right, sit down. Now this half of the room, you guys stand up and I want you to look at the other side and make as many observations as you can. Judge them as like a good Pharisee would, okay? All right, sit back down. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that in a second. But with 100% certainty, uh, it's easy for me to know that everybody is sitting in rows, right? And I think preachers like rows, especially when rows fill up and, and they're hearing the message and you're getting amens and that was amazing, it changed my life. And, but when you look at the first century church, <clears throat> they didn't meet in rows. Actually, in the first century, it was illegal to be a Christian. It wasn't, Christianity was not a religion that was recognized by the Roman government. It was sort of this like voodoo, weird, um, sort of on the fringe religion that they didn't know, like Jesus had died and rose again, ascended to heaven, and they didn't know what to do with these people. So in the first century, there's no way that they would ever assemble like this in rows because it would cost them their very lives. <coughs> Excuse me. If you read 
Paul's letters, like, like Ephesians especially, there's a goddess in Ephesus called Artemis. She's a goddess of fertility, and I'll let your mind wonder at how they worship that god, but, or that goddess. But in Ephesus, it was, not, it was very likely that if you wanted to be employed, one of the jobs you would have to do is make these false idols out of Artemis so that worshipers of Artemis would buy them and take them into their homes. And so if, if you professed that you were Christian or some other religion, it would, it would affect your bottom line. It would affect your pocket. You couldn't provide for your family. It wasn't uh, any benefit in the first century, politically speaking or economically speaking, to be a Christian. So how, how did the first century Christians meet? Well, they didn't meet in, in rows. They, they met in circles. In Luke, Dr. Luke, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, <clears throat> describes for us how the first century church actually met. And you can find this in Acts 2, verse 42 and following. Luke says they, th- this group of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. <clears throat> they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Uh, they, uh, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the f- one of the first accounts. Jesus had died, rose again, ascended into heaven. So Jesus is no longer on earth anymore. Yeah, he's given us his spirit. And this is the first encounter of how the early Christians took the message of to go into all of the world. They developed these circles where they met on a on a, on a consistent basis. They, they put community as part of their rhythm, like you do for work and taking your kids to whatever they're involved in and church and weekend activities. It, it was a priority. It was not an, and it wasn't like <clears throat> a church event to attend, but it was part of the rhythm that <clears throat> developed them and, and, and grew them. And, and Luke says they, 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 they ate together. They had each other over <clears throat> for dinner, some good barbecues. They, uh, they, they celebrated communion together. They laughed together. They, they cried together. There's this, this, you know, the best sense of whatever food channel show that you love, and people surrounded eating really good food, right? You're like, man, I should be a Christian. Yeah, we eat really well. And they prayed together. They did life together. And that's the kind of circle that I want to be a part of. It was this encouragement, and, and, and here's, the, here, here's the beauty of it. They did it even when the Roman law said it would cost you your life. It would cost you your life. Do you remember, does it have to be religious? It can be. Do you remember the first circle that you were ever a part of? Uh, for me, it was uh, entering into sixth grade. Uh, in, my, in my home church growing up, middle school was... 6th, 7th, and 8th, high school was ninth through 12th, <clears throat> and it was my first official student ministry event, and believe it or not, I was a pretty shy kid, I was pretty reserved, I hadn't come into my own skin yet, 
and I did not want to go to this thing. <laughs> it, was a, it was a rake and run, and it, it is what it is. We, we, uh, Brad, our youth pastor, called up some families that couldn't, uh, weren't physically able to rake their own leaves in the fall, so a bunch of the students from the student ministry and adult leaders would hop in trucks and you know, hit up houses, rake their leaves, and go to the next house. And my parents said, you, you, you're going. You don't have a choice. <laughs> I, li- I like that. You know, that. I didn't at the time, but it, it, it did a lot of good for me. And I remember going there, and I met, I met uh, Suja Brain. <clears throat> Her name was Suja Matai at the time. She was, at, uh, she was a, a medical resident at the University of Cincinnati. And her husband, Tom, they were, they were dating at the time, was uh, a Bible college student wanting to be a pastor at Cincinnati Christian University. And so I remember that first rake and run, and I met Suja, a, a college student. And I'm like, why is a college girl talking to me? Like, I'm just here to rake leaves and keep my head down. And Suja asked me, you know, what, what is your name? Uh, where do you go to school? Because the thing that kind of bothered me in my youth group, even though I loved it, was all of the that, that church basically pulled from one school district, Northwest High School and Colerain High School, and I was on the other side of the tracks. And by other side of the tracks, I mean other side of the tracks, 10 minutes from downtown Cincinnati. And so really my, my livelihood as a teenager, my relationships really uh, hinged upon if I connected with students at, at church. And she just went on and on asking me questions and helping me get to know other kids, other adult leaders. And if it wasn't for Suja, I, wouldn't, I would not have met her, <coughs> her boyfriend or later her husband, Tom. And Tom and I, we led uh, my first middle school boys small group uh, when I was a junior and senior uh, in high school. Had it not been for Suja, I would have not have met Tom. I would not have met Brad, my youth minister, Joy, his wife, uh, Amy, uh, Debbie, uh, Natalie, Chris, Chad. Had it not been for that conversation, I would have missed out on incredible circles of influence and impact in my life. And it just took one person saying, hey, you're new here. What's your name? And taking a genuine interest in me. And honestly, like, a lot of first, when people go to church for the first time or a student goes to a, a, an event the first time, a lot hinges not on the worship or the preaching. Is, is someone going to notice me? Is someone going to take time to say hello to me? And because she did that, I gave student ministry a try, uh, and I kept going back. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, Changes That Heal, mentions this. Without a solid bonded relationship, the human soul will become mired in psychological and emotional problems. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. No matter what characteristic we possess or what accomplishments we amass, without solid emotional connectedness, without bonding to God and other humans, we will suffer a sickness of the soul. And I've said that since I've started here. If you play to your strengths, you get autonomy. You get to be the hero of the story. You get all the awards. People write the next country song about your life. Uh, But if you play to your weaknesses, you trade in autonomy, and you find that you get to experience community. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, especially in the church, the greatest, like, spiritual gift that you need belongs to somebody who already possesses it. And there's more power in community than there is autonomy. So what am I trying to say? What we're trying to say today and this month is this, that circles are actually better than rows. 
And one of the things I like to do uh, during small group or life group training, it's the same, same deal, is I like to take small group life group leaders and sit them back to back in chairs. Now, if you have somebody that loves to win, <laughs> uh, I, I assign them with the, uh, they get a pen and a piece of paper. And the other person gets a, a, just a small sheet of paper with a word on it, some sort of noun. And it's that person's job to describe the word to the person with the paper and pen. But the person with the paper and pen is not allowed to talk. They can't ask questions. So if you have somebody that's really aggressive when they play Monopoly, or I mean, it's a lot of fun to watch them get frustrated. I know it's demonic, but it's fun. <laughs> And, and you hear the frustration, like, I, you know, I would describe this better than, no, you can't talk. And that's what kind of what this experience is here on Sunday mornings. When we're sitting in rows, it's sort of a back-to-back experience where I'm, man, what an in, insanely incredible job. I'm trying to describe God, right, to you. I'm describing, trying to describe abstract as best as I can abstract concepts of grace and love and forgiveness and even to the community, and you're sitting there trying to go, okay, I'm trying to make sense. I, 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 I don't agree with that, but I'll keep drawing, or I like that. And, but the purpose and the beauty of a life group is when you're in circles, now you can talk about it. You can ask those questions. You can say, you know, I just, I don't really buy what Ben was saying on Sunday, right? And some other people, are, yeah, I know, we just keep them around. Uh, but <laughs> But there's other parts where you're like, you know what, I really appreciated that story or that testimony that somebody gave or the music hit me in this way. See, none of this happens, this growth, this community doesn't happen if we only sit in rows and we never decide to choose a circle. And I think the the first century church, honestly, friends, benefited in circles in in a lot of ways. And the first way is that, that physical needs are met and circles. Notice what Luke says again. We're going to go through this text again. He said, all of the believers, men, women, and children, were together, right? Kids are running around. There, there's food on, in the kitchen. Someone's pouring the wine. Someone's putting the, setting the table. This is not like this. This is not like a quiet, resp- I mean, there was a lot of energy and life in these homes, right? They were together, had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Can you imagine being part of a circle, being part of a life group, where over the course of time, trust and love and, 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 and maturity was developed, where you could actually go to your life group and say, you know what, <clears throat> my, my family, we have this need, and, and you know, we feel embarrassed, and you know, this is our last resort. You know, when you hear that, it's like, okay, you're, you're playing to your strengths. You want autonomy. But the Lord's broken your spirit and your will so that you can find that community is a really beautiful thing. Can you imagine being in a group where someone comes through for you? Uh, uh, Aris, Aristides, I think is his name. Uh, he, he, was a, he, was a, uh, he was a Greek politician. And his name literally means, this guy did not have an ego trip. His, his name literally means the best person humanity has to offer. Isn't that crazy? That's funny. You can laugh, all right? <clears throat> and this is what politician, I don't know if he was a believer or not, this is the politician, maybe a non-Christian's perspective of how the early church functioned, okay? So we're not using scripture to prove scripture. We're using politicians and historians and what they're actually saying about the first century church. And this is what he says. They, Christians, love one another. 
They do not uh, overlook the widow, and they save the orphan, the one who has ministered. Sorry, the one who has ministers ungrudgingly to the one who does not have. When they see strangers, they take them under the roof and they rejoice over them, a true brother, for they do not call themselves brothers according to the flesh, but according to the soul. It grinds me, man, every time when someone says, you know, Christianity is oppressive to women and to minority groups. Here's the deal, friends. In the Roman, in the Roman government, if you were a female and your husband died, or you didn't have any family, you had nowhere to go. If you were disabled, you had nowhere to go. And time and time again, historians and politicians who have no interest in Jesus, but reporting history like a good journalist would, time and time again report over and over that this group of people, they take in anybody. They're hospitable to everybody. And what the Roman government won't do in coming alongside their citizens, this early church is these group of people, uh, first called the way before they were called Christians, they, they seem to take in everybody. And they seem to have this system where they're willing to meet the physical needs of other people. That's a circle, man. That's a church that I want to be a part of. Uh, a friend of mine actually experienced this a few years ago. I, I think they just brought home their third child something, a pipe or something in the kitchen blew up. It was, it was like 10K to replace it. And uh, he went to, my, my friend and his wife went to their life group and he said, you know, hey, um, kind, of, kind of in the dumps here. Um, you know, we just brought home our, our third child. Our kitchen blew up. It's going to you know, take, uh, cost about $10,000. You just pray for us and give us wisdom and discernment, right? V- very good, but, you know, kind of normal response. And so the group prayed for them, but they went back the next week, <coughs> and one of the gentlemen in the group said, hey, we've got some guys and girls in our church uh, that know how to fix stuff, because you don't. You have preacher hands. That's very true. Preachers can't really fix a lot of things. Uh, and so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to contract the work that it's going to take to fix your kitchen uh, to some volunteers in the church, and then uh, our life group is going to take care of, of uh, all the supplies. I mean, th- that actually really happened. Like, Acts 2.42, in the flesh, actually happened to my friend. And that's the beauty of living in circles uh, and not just in rows. Because here's the deal. If my friend always went to church and basically said, Sunday morning is it, that's my Jesus fill, you know, I got my shot of Jesus and my dose of religion, I'm going to move on. If he only stayed there, uh, nobody would have able to come through for my friend and his family because nobody would have known the need. And that's the beauty of getting together in a circle. Not not only did it provide um, uh, physical support, but also emotional needs were met uh, in circles in the first century. It's interesting, PBS commissioned a study uh, to better understand the relationship between relational connection and happiness. And so this is what they found. (laughs) researchers found that people are happier when they are with other people uh, than when they are alone. And the boost, quote-unquote, is the same for introverts and extroverts. They also are finding that people are more pleasant, no kidding, helpful and sociable. So being around other people makes us feel happier. When we are happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral 
of happiness. And look, if you're introverted, if you're on the melancholy side of the temperament, you're like, yeah, I don't want to do, I get that, but, but, but it, it's part of the Christian discipleship. And notice what Luke says in Acts 2, 46. With glad and sincere hearts, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. Like, with, like from their gut. You ever laugh so hard with family or friends that your stomach hurt? You know, and, and, and you lost your, br- like, that's the kind of community, f- that's the kind of community that they have. They weren't just, like, religious stiffs with khaki jeans on Sunday morning. I, how's it going? I've done my religious hour. I'm going to go home, right? No, they, they, they did life together. It got messy, but it was honest, and there was vulnerability, and there was accountability, and there was encouragement, and there was judgment for discernment for other people to live, good friend of mine <coughs> and I were in a life group a few years ago, and uh, he, was, um, <coughs> he was in a blended family situation, and I want to keep this as, uh, I know it's a public s- setting, but I keep it as private as I can, but <coughs> he was um, having issues with uh, certain folks in his family, uh, and particularly um, one person, and so over the course of the year, he, uh, he just kind of nosedived into depression he put on about 50, 60, 80 pounds, um, just hardly ever went to church unless if he was scheduled to go to church, you know. Uh, I guess religion and guilt has, a, you know, I don't want to go to church, but they schedule me to serve, so I'll be there, right? It happens to all of us. Um, and so uh, he finally came forward after a life group with some of my, uh, with, with myself and him and some of our other guy friends. He's like, this is where I'm at. Um, my, my marriage isn't doing well. Uh, other family members on the other side of the blended family uh, are spreading rumors, and my, my job, uh, you know, I'm working 80 hours a week. I feel like I can't get ahead, and it was an opportunity for us to love on him, and we said, hey, man, we, we love you, um, but reading the Bible isn't going to cure this. We, we want you to read it, but we need you to, we need you to be serious about your health. We, w- we want you to consider what are you eating? Are you exercising? Uh, when's the last time have you ever spoken to a professional, a counselor that can help you wade through some of the boundaries that you seem to be having a difficult time setting uh, for your family in this blended family situation that's really driving a wedge between you and your wife? And man, nothing's more important. Listen, friends, nothing's more important than the health and the relationship that you have between you and your spouse. Nothing, not even your children, should get in the middle of that. And he... Um, he decided to take really healthy steps, and over the course of the year, he lost about 50 pounds, started meeting a counselor uh, once a month, once every other month. He, he started coming to church more often. His wife started to smile more. Um, they were more intimate in their marriage. Uh, he was a better father. All of these things fell in line for him because he was willing to share his emotional need in the context of a trusted circle, that we loved him and that we were for him. And this was beyond, do you know the Greek word for this in the New Testament? This is something like, this is where I'm at in life. I need some brothers to come alongside me. And that's exactly what the early church had in the first century. I really believe that Jesus wants us to to laugh from the belly and to cry from the heart, to be be full in, uh, in our circles with our friends. And to know that, you know, weekends happen, come and go, people are busy, but making a life group a priority 
Man, it, it is, it is, I could go on, uh, and I'd probably tear up if I did. It has done so much for uh, my wife and I's marriage. It has done so much for even our own personal development as individuals autonomous of one, uh, se- separate from one another. Uh, and it has given us ability to study God's word, get to know other people, as well as uh, lead Bible studies when a couple of years ago, you know, my wife and I were like, we'd never do this. And it has been such an incredible journey that, man, I think that's such a great vision statement. If you think about joining a life group to, and it's not, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to sprinkle fairy dust and everyone's going to get along. No, you've got to start as strangers. And over time, over time, hopefully, Lord willing, it forms into friendships. And that's the potential of what a healthy circle can do for our lives. I really believe that life transformation happens more in circles than it does in rows. It's exactly how Jesus led uh, his men and the women that followed him that allowed them to leverage Pentecost. They were ready for that moment when all these people would hear this message and want to come forward and receive Christ and be baptized. They were ready because Jesus did life with his disciples in circles. The third one and final one is missional engagement. Missional engagement happens in circles. Uh, Luke concludes this passage by saying this. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they looked at their circles as a mission, an opportunity for people in their life group to pray for people that are struggling or maybe that they don't have a church home yet. Uh, they use their circles to encourage one another and to lift each other up. And, and here's the deal. Like, I, I know I have, a lot of, um, I have a lot of non-Christian friends that are, you know, anti-big um, religion and churches. And I, I, I get that. But, but, but Paul says the crux of, of our faith really is doing life together in a corporate setting as well as in a small group setting. I mean, notice all the things that he says to us and commands, actually, that he's giving us. He says we're supposed to accept one another. We're supposed to serve one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, offer hospitality to one another, and to love one another. Man, here's our challenge we want to give you. This month in January, we want to encourage you to get in a circle, uh, to, to join a life group. And, and you can do that uh, now on your phone or as you leave. We have iPad stands where you can sign up under the Next Step tab. But to get in a circle, you know, he, here's the deal with that illustration that we did. And whether it landed or not, I, I don't know. But, but he, he, here's, he, here's why we did that illustration. It's because there is so much that you don't know about somebody across the other side of the room that you cannot know in a row, but you make yourself available to them in a circle. And we want to invite you to think about, in the month of January, signing up for a life group to do life with each other. So what, what is, before I close, I want to talk about what, what is a life group, okay? Like wh- what is this thing? Well, a life group is a group of men and women that meet in a home or a coffee shop, some, some common ground area, uh, to discuss the sermon, ask questions. There's icebreakers to get to know other people. It's a 90-minute meeting that, that, is a, uh, that the small group leader, the life group leader, has a guide to walk you through the conversation. Uh, usually there's snacks to share, and it's also opportunity for conversations to get to know other people. And so sometimes pastors can be notorious for uh, 
uh, doing a campaign and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you've been in those kind of churches. Uh, not, 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 so with, not so with us. Uh, we want to encourage you to get in a life group in the month of January so that in February, after Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to do an all-church focus series uh, on the prodigal son called Finding Your Way Back to God. And so your life group, we're asking for a six-week commitment to journey with us together as one church, one heart, one mind, moving forward. And at the end of those six weeks, your life group leader will walk you through a set of questions and an evaluation sheet, and you guys can decide, you know, was this an enjoyable experience? Do we hate each other? Do we want to keep meeting? Are we done? Can we get rid of Cousin Eddie? Uh, There's all these different opportunities for you to talk to see if you want to continue moving forward or not. But what we want to ask you up front is, would you consider just committing to six weeks in February and two weeks in March to go through finding your way back to God uh, as a church collectively. I I hope that you do. I hope that you will take the next step and really discover that circles are uh, better than rows. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this new year, this new opportunity to gather together. Lord, we thank you that following you and being part of your kingdom isn't this glam heavy metal rock show with fog lights and <coughs> and weird clouds it's just it's just groups of people getting together checking in on each other asking each other how how's it going how can i pray for you here's here's what i'm reading in scripture Here, here's what i'm what i'm loving here's what i'm really having a hard time believing can I do that with you? Lord, I pray that 2019 would be a year of unity for us at RCC. That we move together collectively as one body. And that through your spirit, if we take that next step, we, we would discover that circles are better than rows. It's, it's not going to be perfect. We're messy. We're flawed. <clears throat> but it's an opportunity to be known. To go from a crowd to a huddle of a few people. We thank you that your grace is not just uh, at the cross, but it's painted all over the course of our life and our relationships, even in circles. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.